In May, Isaiah and I got to go to Turkey to visit some missionaries that our church supports, and we had to raise money to go on that trip to go to Turkey. And daggummit, we each needed about $3,000 to really make the trip go, and money trickles in and trickles in and trickles in, and you know the last $50 that I needed arrived last week. When I was a student at Wheaton College, I've told versions of this story before where I would show up and I would write a check to the registrar for the first semester tuition and then have no money for books or anything. And that first week of sophomore year, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have money for books. And then a floor mate slipped $500 under the door. How come I didn't get that earlier in the summer? Have you ever... I would just want, would like to point out, how's come, it, how's come that $50 didn't come in May instead of July? What is it? I mean, have you noticed this, Jesus followers? I applied to PhD programs uh, in, I can't remember what year it was, 1997, 1996, 90, And uh, my seminary professors were like, you need to go on, you need to go on. I was like, really? Yeah, you need to go on. So I believed him and I applied and, and then I got all the letters back and it was, no, we don't want you. Thanks for playing. No hard feelings. <laughs> they didn't want me, okay? And so, like, I could have used a ministry job right there. You know what I did for two years? I cleaned toilets. I was a janitor and then I didn't get a ministry job for like two years after that. Although one of my favorite janitor moments was I was sitting in the secretary's desk of the school because I would give the secretary her lunch break and I would answer the phone and interface with students. And I was doing that and I was helping a mom do something, sign out a kid, and then I was on the phone with someone else and I was doing something on the computer. And this tour group of principals from New York comes in. And this lady stops and she's just staring at me. And then after a moment of silence, she goes, I don't care what all else you are doing in this school district, I want one of them. And she pointed at me, I was like, Woo! <laughs> I feel the love. Can I go to New York, Principal Hammond? No. Okay, but have you ever noticed if you're following Jesus, if you're a Christian, that God always seems to be late? You ever notice that? It's like, hey, I need, and then it's like almost just in the nick of time, barely. And that's how God rolls. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. If you're ever waiting for God to move or God to provide, it seems like he's just late. You, you're praying, for, God, I want my mom, my dad. They need to know you so badly because they would treat me better. Oh, God, you need to save them. Or my brother or sister or my husband or wife or this really good friend of mine, you need to redeem them. And you're waiting and waiting and waiting. It's like forever. Hello, they just need to get the Holy Ghost. Or you're praying because you need provision. I need $250 by Friday. Not on Friday, before Friday, please. And then it's Friday at like 4.35 and you barely have time to go to the bank and you're running around. And it's God works that way. Or God, I need, there's these thoughts I have in my head and I just need to be free of them and rid of them right now. And I need you and you're praying and it just seems like God's always late. And in those moments, it's easy to conclude, isn't it? that God just doesn't care or that God doesn't love you or that God's not powerful enough. And that response is common when God seems to be late. It's a common response, but it's not the correct response. Um, Today, I want to put a stake in the ground. The stake of ground I want to put in the ground today is I want you to believe and trust him because when you believe and trust God, God will get glory and you'll get joy. And that's how it works. And I want to walk that out 
by coming to the passage that we were in three weeks ago, just like I promised. So we're going back to the encounter of Lazarus. All right, so this is found in John chapter 11, and we're going to return to the account of Lazarus that's found in John's gospel, John chapter 11. And so I'll just start reading from 11 verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Simple case. Lazarus becomes ill. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus. He gets a messenger uh, where he is. Hey, Rabbi, your buddy back in Bethany, he's sick, man. And so what does Jesus do? Hey, let's stay and linger. It's kind of weird the way that works out. And he says, more or less, hey, disciples, this is wonderful. This is going to be an opportunity to build faith. And they all go, woohoo, right? Shouldn't we all kind of look at crises like that? Death, grief, loss as opportunities to build our faith. We don't ever do that, do we? We usually look at them and we're like, oh, man, God, where are you? You stink. This stinks. Why can't? How's come? You don't, you know, dot, dot, dot. We question his love, and we don't look at them as opportunities for faith, which is why I think in verse 5, John is very careful to say this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, and he's basically saying, look, I know what you would think. You would think that because he delayed going that it meant that he didn't love them. No, that's not the case. He loved Martha and Mary and, and Lazarus. And so the crisis ensues. Lazarus dies. And you know what happens in a crisis? There's two kinds of people. There's the doers. I'm a doer. We're the people. I'll make a meal. I'll rake the lawn. I'll mow the lawn. You got bills to pay? Put them right here in a stack. I'll write the checks. I'm on it. Let's do something. That's Martha. Martha hears that Jesus is on his way, and she's like, forget this. I'm go- I'm go- I'll meet him halfway. I'll get him before he gets to the gates of the city. And then, on the other end of the continuum, in terms of handling a crisis, there are the Marys. This is terrible! <laughs> and she's just in the moment. Hey, Mary, Jesus is coming. I just need to sit here and cry. <laughs> you know, I might even journal my feelings. <laughs> okay? There's the doers and there's the contemplators, or be-in-the-moment people. And that's kind of... And I love the fact that Jesus interfaces with each of them individually. All right, and I want to walk into that. Um, let's look at verses 20, 20 and, uh, to 22. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Right? 
Martha's basic statement to Jesus is, hey, you could have prevented this, but you were too late. You're too late. Lazarus died. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Right? It's, it's kind of an accusation. And Jesus responds with this powerful statement, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he tags a question on it. Do you believe this? This idea of resurrection was a hotly debated topic in the first century. I love the way Jesus used it to get out of sticky uh, uh, issues from time to time. From time to time, he would get in trouble about something, and he would just go, yeah, and that reminds me of the resurrection. And then people in the crowd would be like, yeah, we're all going to be resurrected. And then some would be like, no, we're not. There's no resurrection. And then they go at it. It's kind of like going to like, you know, a Baptist general conference meeting and going, yeah, it's kind of like speaking in tongues. And then just let them go at it. And you can walk away. <laughs> and they're just, oh, there's a die in the first century. No, it didn't really, you know, boom, there it is. And that's kind of what Jesus would do. He would throw that word out when he got in trouble. Hey, resurrection, walk away. No, no problem. But Jesus is claiming something huge in this passage that I don't want you to miss. All right? This I am statement, there are seven of them in the Gospel of John. Seven of them. I am the Messiah. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. And when he says this statement, it's not just a statement about power and authority. It's a statement about position. What he's saying was, you want to be shepherded? You've got to be in him. You want to have light that illuminates your path? You've got to be in him. You want to have bread and spiritual nourishment that sustains you and that you're not hungry and you're not in want? You've got to be in him. You want to be resurrected? You've got to be in him. That's what he's saying. It's connected to him. And so when he says to Martha, do you believe this? What he's saying is, do you believe that resurrection and life are linked to me? Do you believe this? And that's a powerful question. Well, Mary has the same response that Martha has. Verse 32. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. She does that again. And Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's the accusation. You're too late. You're too late. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people Wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. All right, and then it goes on. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then the, that, that short verse, Jesus what? Jesus what? Yeah, he wept. wasn't one of those, you know, Mitt Romney, wipe the tear from your eyes, the jets scream in the background and the American flag is waving, or Obama, wiping the tear from your eye, <laughs> the jets in the background and the flag is waving. No, this is a weeping such that the next verse, the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? There was something about the way Jesus wept that caused all of the family and friends who were gathered to go, whoa, man, the rabbi, the teacher... He loved that guy. Too bad he was late. Man, he really loved him. In these verses, I want you to see something. This is what I want you to see. I want you to see how God responds to death, grief, loss, painful circumstances in your life, in my life, in the life of his friends in this passage. Jesus doesn't just do the, oh, huh, Lazarus died. It's too bad. No, what does he do? Jesus what? 
wept. Jesus, a.k.a. God, was moved. He didn't just show up. It's not like he didn't care. He cared profoundly enough that it moved him emotionally. And when you're in circumstances where there's potential loss, where there's grief, where there's confusion, where your emotions are all over the map, understand God is moved by those circumstances. And not just moved emotionally, but moved to act. And we're going to see that in a minute. But what I want you to see in this passage is, if you're facing circumstances where you're tempted in your head to think, man, God, you're too late. Or you're looking and you're thinking that God is looking at you and saying, oh, too bad, ho-hum, wrong. That's not what God's thinking and feeling at all. It's right here in this passage. God is moved. Why? Because he loves you. Remember that little aside John pointed out in verse 5? Jesus loved Martha and Mary, and Lazarus. John 3.16 tells us that God loved the world so much that he gave what? His one and only son. Jesus' response uh, moves the mourners to go, man, there's love, okay? But if in that moment, Mary and Martha had said to themselves, you know what? The rabbi just doesn't care. It's too late, day late, dollar short. God, it's too late. If in that moment they were to have concluded that God didn't care, that God wasn't moved, that Jesus didn't care, that Jesus wasn't moved, wasn't concerned at all, they would have been wrong in their conclusion, wouldn't they? They might have felt that way, but they would have been wrong about what God felt, what God was going to do. Well, then we get to the good stuff, and that's verse 40. Jesus' response to this whole situation, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. I love what Augustine says about this passage. Augustine says that Jesus had to specifically name Lazarus because if Jesus had just stood at the tomb and said, come out, there would have been all these dead people because back then they would stack them, the bones. In the, in the tombs carved into the hillside, and all these people would have been coming out. Whoa, hey, look, they got sandals. What century is this? I mean, all the dead people would have come out. That's power. That's God's power. But no, Jesus has the limit. And he goes, Lazarus, Lazarus only, you come out, okay? That's God power, all right? I, I love Augustine for saying that, okay? So here's some, are, do you really think your problems are too far gone for God? If it's a relationship or if it's an issue of provision or if it's an issue of health, do you really think that it's too far gone for God in light of this passage, in light of what God does here in John 11? John's careful to point out that uh, Lazarus was in the tomb for four days. I will, I, will, I will map out what that means in ways that generations people can understand. If you're in the tomb four days... You're not just mostly dead. You're all dead. If you were mostly dead, a miracle pill could work. But four days, all you can do is search through the pockets for loose change. (laughs) Lazarus is in the tomb four days. He's all dead. The Jews of that time had had an idea and a belief that the soul would linger around the body for three days, but on the fourth day, it would move on. 
right? So the four-day thing is an important thing of saying he's all dead. When you and I trust and believe God, God will get glory. And when God gets glory, we get joy. And that's the equation. That's what Jonathan Edwards said, by the way. Jonathan Edwards said that when God is glorified, we get joy. And, and so when you see in the Bible where God's going to get glory, good stuff's going to happen. And so uh, Mark Driscoll, I love what he comments when he's commenting on this passage. He says, you know what? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but we're only 10 minutes into the film. We don't know all that's going to go on in the next 90 minutes of the film. We're only 10 minutes into it. And what he says by saying that is, if you have no idea where your life is going right now, if you have no idea where this and this is something pretty big and your life is going right now, hey, you're only 10 minutes into the film. Hang on. Because you know what? God is going to get glory. And when God gets glory, things are going to happen. So I want to ask some questions. And because I've been gone two weeks, I've got like 50,000 questions today. What? Yes, 50,000 questions. But in light of this passage, in light of Lazarus, in light of Jesus being moved and raising Lazarus from the dead, I want to ask some questions for you and me. First question is, what or how are you measuring God's love and concern for you? What? And how are you measuring God's love and concern for you? Is it based on health? In the sense of, well, you know, I got Crohn's, or I'm pre-diabetic, and because I got Crohn's, because I'm pre-diabetic, God doesn't love me. God's not concerned about me. Boy, he would be if I were diabetic-free, if I were Crohn's-free. Is there, is there a health issue that really for you is the defi- measuring stick? I mean, it just measures for you. Because I have this, because we can't get pregnant, because whatever it is, therefore, dot, dot, dot. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care. Is it an issue of wealth? I know for uh, any of us in this room, we would go, right? Man, if I just had six figures at the end of the year on the tax form, pfft, I would know God's going to bat for us, but this 30000 a year, 50000 a year, 20000 a year, it's not enough. And then there are people on the northwest side of the county, and they'd go, man, if I just had seven figures, <laughs> forget the six figures, if I just had seven figures, I would know without a doubt God was for me, God cared about me, God loved me. Is it an issue of comfort? Is it getting what you want out of life? I mean, what is the measuring stick that you're using to measure God's love and concern for you. In this passage today, you know what I want you to hear? I want you to hear God saying, I love you. Not because of what you have or don't have. Not because of how healthy or unhealthy you are. I love you. And I am moved by what goes on in your life. I am moved by it. And I am moved to action because of what goes on in your life. There's my first question. Second question is, are you in Jesus? If, if what Jesus says is true, I'm the resurrection and the life, and if you want to be resurrected, you've got to be in him. If you want to be shepherded, you've got to be in him. My question is, are you in him? Are you just a fan? Are you kind of attending occasionally? You know, I mean, what, is that, what does faith in God look like for you? The other way of phrasing it is, are you all in with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I need light 
I need to be satisfied. I need to be shepherded. I want to be resurrected. I'm all in. (laughs) There's no other choice for me. There's nothing else that can do that for me. So are you all in? Here's another question. Will you believe and will you trust him? At the, just today, today, this day, will you trust Jesus Christ today? Period. Tomorrow, the issue will be the same. Will you trust him all day tomorrow? But that's tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Let's just focus on right now, today, today. Will you trust him today, all day, till you put your weary little head on your pillow at the end of the day? Will you trust him today? Interesting to me, there's two responses to Jesus' raising of Lazarus in the text, and they're found in verses um, 45 and following. Dun, dun, dun. Many, verse 45, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So they, they witnessed There's a funeral. Lazarus has died. They showed up for the funeral. It's a tragedy. It's terrible that it happened. The rabbi, the famous rabbi, shows up. They roll the the stone aside to the tomb. Lazarus come out. There he is. Boom. Kapow. Whoa. That's never saw that happen before. That's big. (laughs) Right? I mean, go to a funeral and have the guy get out of the coffin. That's a big deal. (laughs) Okay? Even with embalming fluid, come on, it's a big deal, okay? So some people, many people, the text says, believed in Jesus. They worshiped, they thanked him, they believed him, they loved him, they obeyed him, they were in him, they believed they had faith. And then there were some people who were hostile, some people who opposed, some people who were disconcerted, some people who fought him, who disrespected him, and they went to the Sanhedrin and they ratted him out. Hey, you know that rabbi guy, you know what he did? No, thanks for telling us. We'll take care of that. Thank you. I, I mentioned that because the younger version of me always thought that if I had been there at the Red Sea and saw it parted, I would be like, I would just trust God no matter what all the time. Or if I had just hung around with Jesus those three years and seen the miracles and watched the blind see and the lame walk and all that stuff, I, I always had this thought, well, if I, if I were there and I had seen that stuff with my eyes, I would believe, I wouldn't even doubt. I would go day after day and I, just, I would be in like Flynn. And the older I've gotten, the more I've realized, huh, Look at, look at the scenario. For three years, it's signs and wonders and big stuff. And at the end of the day, what do they do to him? They kill him. Okay? And all the people who were close to him cut and run. So I'm thinking I probably wouldn't have fared much better. <laughs> it's just me. Maybe you would have. But it takes faith. It takes faith on our end. It took faith on their end. It takes a decision. And the decision is... Hey, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what. I'm going to trust your intentions toward me. I'm going to trust your character. I'm going to trust who you are. I'm going to trust your provision. I'm going to trust what you've done in Jesus Christ. I'm going to trust you, period. And I'm not going to look to anyone or anything else for it. Today, I don't want you to grow weary and lose heart. That's the really heart of this message for me. I don't want you to grow weary and lose heart. I want you to believe God. Because Jesus is coming back. And on the last day, uh, God's final glorious renovation of all things is going to take place, including our very bodies. 
He says in Revelation, I will make all things new. Right? Lazarus, in this passage, in John 11, is a preview. It's a window into what's going to happen on that day. And you know what I see in this story of the raising of Lazarus? I see God saying to you and to me, I love you. I am moved by what's going on in your life. I am moved in my heart and I am moved to action. Believe me. Believe this. I am the resurrection and the life. Believe me. Period. And live. And that's, I think, what God is saying to me and to you this morning out of John chapter 11.